Lord Jesus, present in the most blessed sacrament, with your permission, we begin this meditation as part of the 40 hours here at St. John's with renewed gratitude for your gift of yourself to us. And these 40 hours, indeed, that's an opportunity for us to spend with you time and energy and to give to you our thoughts and our affections and our love. This 40 hours is preached, uh, of course, throughout the Catholic Church. It's a custom and tradition that allows for the faithful to come over an extended period and bring their love and joy before the Lord and also their sorrows and their concerns and to open our hearts to the Lord. I'm very grateful to Father Pollard for inviting me. I'm Father Gerald Murray, a priest of the Archdiocese of New York. I've been a priest for 30 years. And during that period, in addition to working in parishes in New York, I also was a student priest in Rome studying canon law. And that's where I had the happy occasion to meet your pastor when he was a seminarian at the North American College. And uh, we have maintained our friendship over the years, and I'm very grateful for this invitation. It's been my privilege as a priest uh, to serve in different parishes and uh, to realize that the life of the church takes place around the altar. And that is why the 40 hours is so wonderful, because the parish centers all of its activities on our divine Savior and what he represents for us uh, by giving us this opportunity is the Lord opening his heart to us. So we should spend this time during the 40 hours thinking and praying. And the theme of this 40 hours preaching will be to know Christ Jesus, to know him in the full sense of what that means. Now today, by happy coincidence, uh, we have one of the Gospels at Mass, uh, the Gospel of the Transfiguration, which is a Gospel very appropriate for Eucharistic exposition because our Lord uh, revealed himself as divine to Peter, James, and John, letting his divinity shine through his humanity. St. Peter, in his second letter, said the following, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. We were with him on the holy mountain. So you and I were not at the holy mountain, but the mountain has come to us because the holiness of the True God is here, exposed for our adoration on the altar. And we were not eyewitnesses like uh, Peter, James, and John. They saw our Lord's glory shining through even his clothes. It says his clothes became whiter than any fuller could make them. So they were dazzlingly bright. And, of course, light is the sign of the divinity. God dwells in inapproachable light. But he has come down to earth and made that light known to us. So we were not eyewitnesses, but we believe. We believe that the transfiguration happened. We believe precisely what the apostles wrote about it. 
And we are blessed in that. Recall what our Lord told Doubting Thomas. Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So we believe we have not seen the Lord face to face as the apostles did, but we believe with as much faith as they did because we believe precisely that God acted in their lives in order to act in our lives. And that when our Lord entrusted the Holy Eucharist into the hands of the apostles, he wanted to continue his presence among us in a way that we could have this beautiful familiarity, if I can say it that way. We can come here and spend time with Jesus, and yet it takes that faith, that deep faith of the apostles, to believe that this truly is the Son of God. Now, when we say that we must know Christ Jesus, that isn't the same as saying we have to know the train schedule in order to get to work, or we have to know how to fix our home computer or get someone else to do it better uh, if we want to be able to use it. The knowledge of things of this world is useful and important, but it's inferior to the knowledge of the one true God, because it is a knowledge granted to us through his grace, and it's granted to us in order that we might uh, gain eternal life, that we might be one with the Lord. So when we say we must put on the mind of Christ, what does that mean? I think we can say it means that we must think and act as he did while he walked on the face of the earth. We must think and act as Jesus did. Now, how is that possible? Well, because Christ lives in us. He lives in our soul in grace. He is in our tabernacles. He gives us his teaching through the sacred scriptures, through the doctrine taught solemnly by the church. The good Lord does not leave us orphans. In fact, he lives in us in grace. And he forms us in his mind and in his love and in his affections uh, the more time we spend with him. St. Augustine famously said that we should let Christ within teach us. We should let Christ within teach us. And I think that's a good idea for our meditation before the Blessed Sacrament, to ask our divine Savior, what do you want me to learn during my time in church? How can... I become a better follower. How can I think and act as you did, O Lord, those many years ago? Now, in doing that, the Lord does not leave us alone. And, in fact, it's a communal act in the church, this Eucharistic adoration. So we should pray for one another who are here praying. And then think of those many people who might have been here except for the icy conditions. Maybe the good Lord will bless us with some melting tomorrow. But... There are many people who can benefit from what we do here tonight and then through the silent prayer that will occur during these 40 hours. Uh, We need to help them through our prayers and then through our example, and that they know that we are praying for them is very important. Now, historically, the 40 hours is an interesting devotion, and I was looking up to a little historical reflection on it. Uh, This seems to have developed in Italy in the 16th century as a particular form of devotion based on the number 40. We're all familiar with the number 40 because that's the number of days our Lord spent in the desert. That's what Lent is. Uh, It's also the number of years the Israelites wandered in the desert, and the flood lasted 40 days. So 
Uh, in the Old Testament uh, and in the New Testament, 40 symbolizes a lengthy period. And indeed, uh, taking up that uh, number to pray in church before the Blessed Sacrament, 40 hours, reminds us precisely that religion is not instantaneous. We can't become a Christian in just a moment. We have to spend time at it. And that depth of prayer, uh, coming closer to the Lord, he'll grant it as he sees fit, of course. We do get inspirations, but the more time we spend, the better we know our Lord, the closer we come to him. Now, this 40 hours devotion spread uh, from Italy into Spain and in different Catholic countries in Europe, and it arrived here in the United States. And uh, it's a very beautiful uh, devotion because it reminds us that in the Catholic Church, uh, Jesus is the center of everything and that he is exposed for our adoration precisely because we need his help. We go to him because we stand in great need. And those needs are personal. They're also societal. Uh, those needs relate to the good of the church, to the mission of the church, to spreading it. Um, it's uh, something that for us uh, here tonight and then through the next uh, day and a half that we will have, it's an opportunity to kind of clear the deck with the Lord, get all those intentions out before him, bring all those, lift up those people in prayer, uh, pray for our country and her needs, uh, pray for our own spiritual lives, uh, pray that we will benefit from this time of prayer to become men and women of greater prayer, deeper prayer. I remember uh, once going on a priest retreat, and an old Spanish priest uh, was describing the schedule for us, <clears throat> and he said, well, we have this conference and this prayer and mass and rosary, but he said, in, the, in between all that, he said, waste some time in the chapel. Waste some time in the chapel, meaning just go in there and sit down and look at the tabernacle and spend the time with the Lord. Now, time-wasting is not usually something that priests recommend to people. We always say the constructive use of time. But sometimes we don't want a constructive activity. We just simply want to have something good happen to us. Well, if we waste the time with the Lord, if we sit here before the Blessed Sacrament, the Lord will act. He'll bring thoughts to our minds, affections to our heart. He'll revive memories of his providence, the goodness that he has shown us in the past. Uh, the goodness that he shows us uh, right now in our different situations. So wasting that time with Jesus is never really wasting it at all. It's benefiting. But it is a counter to the culture of distraction and entertainment that we live in. And that, of course, is uh, it's a big challenge. Um, it's amazing for me to see, as I walk through the streets of New York, how many people don't look ahead of them. They're looking down at a screen as they're walking in a busy street. And if you're driving a car, you have to be aware that just because people know you're coming doesn't mean they're going to stop walking. Uh, we do live in a society in which a constant stimulation of the senses is available. And 40 hours gives us a moment to say, well, I'm going to put all that aside and spend some time with the Lord and see what he has to say to me. What can he teach me that I need to know? What lessons are important in my life? Now, Christ, the teacher, uh, is uh, the best teacher possible. And, of course, when we read the scriptures and we look at the parables and we look at 
the miracles that the Lord performed, uh, we always gain benefit because Christ is teaching. Everything he did was designed for our encouragement and our instruction, even the hard things that he said, uh, even when he challenged us, even when he criticized the hypocrites, for instance. The Lord is trying to teach us how to, how to understand our own lives in the light of what he himself is, wants to communicate. So I hope during these 40 hours you'll also bring uh, the Holy Bible uh, and the Gospels in particular and meditate upon different passages because that's a very fruitful way uh, to be informed by Christ the teacher and to know the Lord truly. A very good spiritual practice that I was taught many years ago is to read from the Gospels every day. You know, just a few minutes, three to five minutes. And I used to remember when I was a seminarian, I said, well, wait a minute, I'm going to class to read the Bible. I've got to go through all of these lectures. And, uh, you know, once I get out of the seminary, well, of course, I'll read the Bible and I have to preach a sermon. But otherwise, do I really need to do it? And the answer is, yes, you do. You know, make make a, a real effort to understand reading the Bible is not like reading an owner's manual of something you just purchased. Read it once and then use the object. Uh, the Lord will teach new things uh, in the course of your study. In the course of reading it, you'll understand new profundities. You'll also understand events in your own life based on what happens in the scriptures. Now, a prayerful reading of the scriptures is always done uh, with that spirit of being willing to be surprised, to learn something about ourselves that perhaps we've attended to ignore. Uh, Another suggestion always given in the spiritual writers is place yourself in the position of the different characters that you read about in the scripture. See what they thought and said, what do I think and say about the same thing? And what did Christ want me to learn by reflecting on this person in the Bible and then my own life. Uh, Once we do that, I think we get lots of encouragement. The Lord, remember, he praised the humble man who would not, who uh, stayed in the back of the temple. You know, the great religious leader went forward and said, Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like all the rest of mankind. I take care of all my religious duties. And then the master who was the sinner stood at the back of the church and said, Be merciful to me, O Lord, a sinner. I'm not worthy. Uh, When we see those two figures, we shouldn't just say, well, I'm more like that second guy. How often we are like the first guy. How often we see religion as an attempt to accomplish a set of goals, and then we feel good about ourselves when they're done. Uh, It's always amazing when you see the saints, they always say, I'm a big sinner, pray for me. And then the whole, everyone else says, what are you talking like that for? If you're a big sinner, what about me? You know, where's my hope? No, you're a saint, and we, we like you. We want you to pray for us. No, the more we know ourselves, the better we see that the sinner, the saint, the humble man, the proud man, that's us at different points in life. And the goal is to learn to ever grow closer to the Lord by imitating him. And, of course, the Lord encourages us in this regard. Remember what he said to the woman caught in adultery. Go and sin no more. Your sins are forgiven. Once the Lord convicts us of our sin and gets us to admit it, uh, we don't get squashed like a bug and say, now you get your just reward. No. Then we get the blessing of new life and peace. Now, in addition to 
uh, studying uh, what the Lord has to teach us, uh, we have to ask grace to see more clearly what God is asking of us in our lives. And that's another benefit of silent meditation. We can really do a review of life, they call it in the spiritual literature. Look back and see how has God's hand guided me? How have I attempted to be faithful to him? In what areas have I failed and how can I do better? And what graces will I ask the Lord to give me? Now, this is not something that should make us sad to think about our past life because, of course, there are a lot of failures in our lives. And a lot of times we did badly what we would have preferred to do better. But that doesn't matter because the Lord loves us so much, he doesn't want us to be discouraged. He forgives our sins and he makes up for the things that we don't do well. And in the end, the goal is heaven. So even if we don't accomplish everything we want to on earth, if we die trying to do the Lord's will, well, then we'll be with him forever in the blessed eternity. So there, the point, I think, for our prayer is to look back at our life, look where we'd like to go, and ask the Lord, what do I need to be doing? What have you taught me so far, and how can I do things better? And this review of life in the light of the Blessed Sacrament is, uh, could be a source of tears at some points. It could be a source of smiles. It could be a source of saying, gee whiz, I wish I had done something different. But all of those in the eyes of God, those are building materials for going forward. They're not causes for regret, sorrow, or being disconsolate. Now, when we ask the Lord's grace in all of this, uh, he's very generous in answering us, and he does send us inspirations. Uh, it is uh, sort of like uh, what he told the apostles uh, when he called the apostles first. We read that in St. Mark's Gospel, uh, the third chapter, verse 16. St. Mark writes about our Lord. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed 12 to be with him and to be sent out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. So this uh, calling of the apostles is like the same reality has happened in our lives. The Lord desires us. He called us uh, when we were baptized to be his followers. And he calls us each and every day to follow him closely. But what was the first thing that the apostles did? He appointed 12 to be with him, to be with him, only secondarily to preach and cast out demons. That is the primordial duty of all of us, to be with the Lord, to spend that time with him, to learn from him. Uh, the duty in life uh, is not to achieve endless accomplishments. The duty is to be united to the Lord and then in, with his grace and by his power accomplish the things that we know he wants us to do. All of this, of course, is done in proper order uh, according to our state in life and possibility of time and commitment, but everybody can find time uh, to be with the Lord. Here at this 40 hours is a particularly blessed moment and we're with our fellow believers, our fellow Catholics, on our knees sitting in meditation turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, here I am with you. Teach me so that you might send me out like you did the apostles. Not necessary to preach a sermon, although it would be nice we had some vocations to the seminary that came from the 40 hours, some young men to follow that path. 
But everyone is meant to preach their faith by the way they live and by the advice they give to others and the example that they have in their lives. And never underestimate that. I remember a very famous Jesuit, Father John Harden, S.J. Uh, He was a great writer and teacher, and I went to a class that he was teaching in New York. This is about 35 years ago. And he said to the students who were mostly uh, recent college grads who were studying to become CCD directors and to teach religious education, and he remember he told the students, he said, do not underestimate the good influence you have by simply living a Catholic life. Simply living a Catholic life. Don't underestimate the influence you have. And I thought about that, and what does that really mean? Well, if people know that we're consistent in the practice of the faith, if they know that we believe in the doctrine of the faith, if, we know, if they know that we are charitable in our way of dealing with people, uh, that we do work to help those in need, uh, if they know that we gladly submit to the divine law, uh, that has a positive influence on people. It really does. You never know who is listening or watching, and uh, everybody in the world looks for encouragement. Uh, when they get the right encouragement, it's the best thing possible. I remember uh, reading the biography of Whitaker Chambers, who was not a Catholic, but he was a Christian. He was a former communist spy who then became left communism, became a writer at Time magazine. And he wrote in his autobiography that when he was at Time magazine, people would come into his office ostensibly to talk about the business of the writing that they were doing at the magazine. He said what they really wanted to do was come in and talk about their lives because they knew that Chambers was a believer, that he believed in God, and he was grateful to God for his mercy in their lives. I think the same thing happens with basically every practicing Catholic. Uh, People come up to them and ask for advice and help. Uh, That's a way to preach. That's a way to bring God's love to others. And people say, well, how do I know it's working? You don't know if it's working because you only find out if you get to heaven. Then God reveals all the good you did in this life. But at least give it an effort. And don't worry about the results. Uh, As a priest, of course, uh, and the priests here can second me in this, we, because we're public servants of the church wearing a Roman collar, we get asked all the time, Father, pray for me. Father, I have this problem. What can I do? happens all the time. It happens on trains, planes, automobiles. I mean, it's all over the place. And we know that that's part of the reason why the priesthood was established by Christ, to have that public influence. But you think about it. How many possible people in the world can actually meet and talk to a priest? It's a limited number. There are a lot more that can be affected by the lay people taken as a whole. You know, so the mission of the laity in the church is to give witness to their faith by word and deed. But we do that effectively when, like the apostles, we spend time with the Lord. Now, casting out demons was given to the apostles as a task. And that is to be understood uh, not literally for us because that's not an authority given in general to the baptized It's a specific office in the church of exorcist. But we can say in the broader uh, picture, uh, casting out demons means making effective, uh, bringing effective grace into the life of others. And that's through the sacramental system in particular. Uh, By bringing people to confession and holy communion, uh, we help drive out the evil of the devil and his influence in lives. 
For us, therefore, great love for both of those sacraments is the way to stay close to Christ. And then to bring people uh, to Christ, we must bring them to the same, uh, same point of, uh, of living. <clears throat> it doesn't even have to be a Catholic. I remember a great story that a lay friend of mine told uh, that he was at lunch with a famous person. I'm not going to name the famous person because that's just a distraction. But this was a famous guy. And they were at lunch together. And this guy said, well... Why don't we walk? We're leaving. We're going to walk together to where we're going next. And the famous guy said, yes. And then the Catholic guy says, well, by the way, I'm going to stop in this church and say a prayer before the Holy Eucharist. Do you mind coming in? (laughs) He said, okay. And he did. And he prayed, and then they both left. Well, that famous guy later converted to Catholicism and became a devout Catholic and... uh, that story told to me by the Catholic Party uh, bore out that God's grace happened because somebody took a little bit of a risk of saying, well, I don't mind if he knows I pray. In fact, I'd like him to pray, so maybe I'll invite him to pray. Small little story, but an example of the goodness of God and the audacity, the boldness that comes when we're truly devout, that we don't mind asking people to pray or helping them to pray. That's a good way to cast out demons. And there are so many demons in our own personal lives, meaning the devil has a grip on us when we consent to sin. And sometimes we adopt devilish ways of thinking. All of that we have to cast out. And we come to the Lord to teach us how to do that and help us to do that for others. So we want to be with the Lord, to waste time with him during these 40 hours Uh, to spend time focusing not on what we do in life, but who we are, who God has made us. He's made us his beloved sons and daughters, and he wants us like good sons and daughters to incarnate uh, his plan for mankind and the way we live. All of that uh, grace is offered to us every day. Uh, Let's take advantage of these 40 hours to truly ask the Lord, how can I be with you better and more so that I might live your life in my life. Finally, we ask Our Lady, who is the supreme contemplative in the Church. She was the first to contemplate the Word made flesh. Let's ask her to teach us how to become contemplative, not just during these 40 hours, uh, but for the rest of our lives, so that we too might have a truly active and profound love for her Son.